what's this next question? Is this? Uh, it's from Manny. This is Manny. Manny. Yeah. All right. Too many mistakes on Instagram. Too many mistakes. <laughs> I, I missed an M. Oh, all right. <laughs> Work with what you have or buy what you need. That's his question. Are you really saving money on a job by buying the cheapest materials? <laughs> Manny, this is a somewhat rhetorical question yeah. as far no, as No, you're go. just ripping off the client. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we always get the best materials we can. It makes your job easier. Oh. Makes the final product better. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not as if that money is really coming out of our pocket. We we charge for it. Right. If, if we want to use uh, the best slides we can, we pass that cost on to the client, the end sure. user. We don't, you know, we don't mark it up. We just say this is the slide. It's what it costs. Right. Yeah, this is what the best slide costs. Um, it just doesn't make any sense to go any other way. If what if we could save a hundred dollars on a job by using um, cheaper slides, and then we charge the client a hundred dollars less, what's the point? Plus, it's gonna it's gonna cost you time, which is gonna be money because it's gonna be harder to get right to everything to work the way you want it to work. Mm-hmm. And that goes for slides. It goes for plywood. It goes for everything. Yeah. You buy shop grade, they call it plywood, or, yeah. or scratch and dent where it got gouged by the forklift and you have to plan. Now you have your, to work around it. Right, you got to plan your cousin and say, we can't use this piece, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay, so you paid 50 bucks instead of 75 for the sheet of plywood. You just lost $25 dicking around. So yeah, you might as well just it. bought the, the we, sheet that was good. We just talked to the guy from Fez. It's 33, was it 33 or 32 cents? A square. A, right. For so, Garnica versus the crappy Prefin plywood. So wait, what is the what's the price difference though? Thirty cents a square. Oh, okay, yeah. So there's it's a so no brainer. Nine dollars a sheet. I was talking to Brian. I was talking to him about the same thing. I said, I just for me, it's worth the extra money. I don't even care if it was, you know, sixty cents a square. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to deal with a product that's not good. And the other thing that's really nice about Garnica is it's dimensionally accurate. Right. So three quarter is going to be oh, three quarter. That in and of itself. That's just a beautiful thing. Yeah. So if you're doing dados or whatever you're doing, it's just so nice. Even just, you know, building a cabinet. Okay. 34 inch wide cabinet. Yeah. Minus inch and a half. Yeah. I can cut my internals and know that they're going to be the right size. Yeah. Because we do all our drawings and then we make the working drawings and we're not saying that a sheet of, in the drawing, we're not putting uh, that the sheet of plywood's uh, 0.71 inches yeah. or because we don't know exactly what it's going to be. So we put three quarters and then have to compensate while we're actually doing it. When you start working with the, have you gotten a sheet of Garnica yet? No, but we'll next time we buy plywood, that's what we'll be buying. When you do, when you have a couple of scraps, cut a few pieces, stack them up and measure and see what you got. I did a, I think I did a stack of uh, maybe six pieces, and I think the the math would work out to be a full... Uh, four and a half. Yeah, four and a half, and that's what I got. Nice. Um, I, I had a connection there with Garnick, and I was working with them as a sponsor for a while, but that fell away. The guy that I uh, worked with over at Blaisdell Lumber uh, ended up passing away, and so that mm-hmm. connection ended up passing away. But now that I'm working with Fez, or I'm not working with Fez, but buying uh, plywood from them, Maybe I can revive that relationship. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually I was pleasantly surprised when Brian Brian, our rep from Fez, stopped by yesterday, and we were asking him about um, 
Garnica. Did he just drive up or did he come with a delivery? He uh, he was in the neighborhood. Yeah, I think. and he called. Oh, cool. And he par- He actually parked over there and walked over because I was like, you're not going to be able to get down the drive. I'm sure he's going to come to the barn one day yeah. because yeah. we were talking and I uh, tagged him. I tagged Fessenden Hall in a story. They have a, a an lot Instagram? Of- they do. Oh, wow. I looked for it. Yeah, you'll find it now. <laughs> um, and uh, a lot of people were like, oh, I, where do you get plywood like that? Because yeah. I was using the Baltic birch plywood. I've got a question about Baltic birch plywood, actually, because I'm sure everybody has to deal with this. How do you deal with the chip out? Don't you seem to get more chip out with Baltic? You mean on the underside when you're using a table? Or side? drilling, like drilling a hole next to the edge. Seems like you get oh. no matter how long I've or splinters that or something. Top veneer. That top it's, veneer. It's thick. Oh, you're talking about it's pre-fin? A, it's pre No, no, not prefin. The top veneer is a thick veneer. It's yeah. like almost a sixteenth of an inch. Hmm. And it can splinter off. Probably just need a very sharp countersink, I guess. Yeah, I think that's what Because we ran into that when we built yeah. the uh built the benches at the yoga studio that my wife owns. Yeah. Out of Baltic. And you were getting some of that little bit yeah. of... Yeah, you're going to get... I mean, I've been using Baltic for more than 20 years, and I've always... Like, that's always an issue, something to look out for. Yeah. Did you get 4 by 8s or 5 by 5s I got 4 by 8s I found the 5 by 5s are actually it's better, better, better quality. I don't know why. That's yeah. that's one of those things. Like, there's no good reason for that. But, yeah. I don't but, know. Like, it's I don't so know hard why. to handle those five foot wide pieces. This is the first time I've ever bought four by eights because five by fives was all that's, that was oh, yeah, I could get. get. Yeah. And this is this is Russian birch, they're calling it. Okay. The, <laughs> which one is they're calling the five by five? Both. Rush? Yeah. I think they're calling yeah. both. Okay. It's not like authentic Baltic yeah. birch. You could feel the difference in the weight. I I can. I mean, I think the... We have a sheet of eighth-inch Baltic birch out there. I've used eighth-inch Baltic birch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I use it for, like, this kind of artwork thing I do. Mm-hmm. The um, Just, like, three veneers. <laughs> well, the, the thing with Baltic, I mean, a four-by-eight sheet of Baltic is heavy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's over 100 pounds, I think. Yeah. Is it... Th- Shit, man, Did I'm you in have pretty good shape on just one just side? Just one side. Yeah. See, the five-by-fives didn't have any. Yeah. Okay. Which was I was nice. carrying those four by eights like from the truck to the barn, and I was like, "Wow, these things are heavy." Because yeah, I man. think like a regular like maple is like seventy, seventy. Is it pounds. that much? Wow. Yeah. Three, now the garnica, you're going to notice that the garnica plywood is very light. Really? Because it's, it's popular. Because po- it's popular. Yeah. Oh, it's good. nice. It's good stuff. Some of the growth rings, like we use the uh, the prefin, regular prefin, on this uh, table saw. Some of the growth rings were like an inch. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, and every piece split because we, uh, you know, we have ribs going this way and then the top, and we screwed, screw up. Yeah, yeah, and like almost every piece split. Yeah, pre-drilled, pre-drilled. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. And Brian was like, "Huh, I don't know. That's like our bread and butter." I'm like, <laughs> we're a little picky. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things you use it for a shop project, and you're like, "I'm not using this again." Well, we bought it for a kitchen, and um, those are the leftovers. Yeah, I mean, as ki- as cabinet plywood, it it didn't really have any issues. Um, but again, we'd rather just have something that's better. For sure, it's just easier to work with. Yeah. So the answer, Manny, no, don't buy the most expensive thing that you can afford. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, the best. Yeah, the, the best. yeah, not the most expensive. I like this next question. It's a good one. 
Yeah, from Adam, one of our patrons. Thank you, Adam. Adam says, you've convinced me to invest in a quality low angle block plane. Do you have any idea why it's so hard to get one right now? I'm going to guess the demand. Veritas, Lee Nielsen, and even Woodwork are way back ordered. Any suggestions on other people who make quality low angle block planes? Can a quality shoulder plane accomplish some of the same work? Breaking edges and such. Should I get a standard angle? That's, again, Adam, one of our patrons. Uh, that plane uh, that I just got, how long did it take? Two weeks or three weeks? No, no, not even. You yeah, ordered it, and it said it was backordered. And then, and then like, you got it, yeah. Two days later, they were like, hey, we shipped. That's right. Um, I actually spoke to Lee Nielsen um, through I email. love that plane, by the way. Last week was tool of the week, but it was like first impressions. Mm-hmm. I used it to... Um, square up some of the doors on this secretary. Uh, and it's, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I think it's sweet. Yeah, I spoke to, uh, what's his name, John, I think, at Lee Nielsen, because I was asking about the one eighth inch chisel, because I want to grab an eighth inch chisel. I said, You guys have any plans on, um, you know, making it again soon? And he said, like, they've really had to shift around their production schedules with COVID, and I guess they have to have limited people in the factories and stuff. So, that's why everything is is back ordered. Even machines. I heard people saying Grizzlies sold out of planers and all you know all these different companies. So um, that's why things are back ordered because of COVID and you know more people production. woodworking and less production. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. think that probably has something to do with it too. More there's more demand because yeah. people are at home, you know, doing uh, hobby type stuff. Um, but yeah, like Rob ordered his and it showed up two quick. weeks at the most. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't go ahead and just like get something because you need it now. Like I'd wait and get the good. Get what yeah. you want. Yeah. Because it said back ordered when I ordered it, but I was, you know. Who'd you get yours from? Lee Nielsen. Yeah. Right from their catalog yeah, or their direct, website? Right, direct from them. And mm-hmm. just do it. Just order the Lee Nielsen. Yeah, don't get a Wood River. I haven't used them personally, but they're made in China. It's just... Yeah. And they're, the pricing is not that competitive compared yeah. to a, a Lee Nielsen. Or Get their low-angle block plane or uh, check out at least the the one that I just got, which is the low-angle block rabbit plane. Yeah, rabbit and block plane. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're both pretty cool. Yeah, that's a nice plane. <laughs> and I, I did use some of my mini planes as well. Yeah. It came in handy. Yeah, and John and Lee Nielsen said, you know, check back in uh, like a month or two for the eighth inch chisel. So like they have, they have plans to start getting these things made. Yeah. It just it takes a little bit of time. Things are going to start loosening up. Yeah, it seems that way. I yeah. ordered chisels in um, when was it? I forget. Maybe summertime, and they were back ordered, and it only took maybe two weeks, three weeks, and then they shipped. Yeah. So. I ordered, a, I ordered a uh, Festool CT15, and uh, I just called them because it's been two weeks, and they said, "Oh, maybe it will come in two a week from now, like mid of mid, middle of yeah. next week." And I thought, "Geez, this is kind of getting you know, ridiculous." It's maybe a I new reality that we're just we've kind of been spoiled in a sense where, you know, between Amazon and Next Day and yeah. Second Day and. That was our normal state of minds. We're not used to waiting. 
No. Well, I don't order that many tools. And I thought, you know, I ordered this from Acme. And at the same time, I ordered a few things from Rockler for dust collection stuff. The dust collection stuff came, you know, like three days later. And then I just didn't hear anything. And I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm well, getting. Builders probably has them in stock. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. That's where we, we bought them. We, we, we said, eh, give us two CT15s. We went in there and just bought two. Do you know what? That's what I'm going to do. Because or I need it. General. I'm going to call them up and I'll just go there and then I'll have it because I've got some sanders coming and I need the, price the dust is the collection. Same everywhere. Yeah, I don't care. Plus, it's local. Yeah. There yeah. you go. That's good. Hey, I'm reading ahead and this next question I want to know the answer to. Okay. John. Uh, this is a good one. How often do you have to replace a queen bee due to not making it through the winter or hive abandonment? And oh. how many hives do you have? That's Jordan Elridge on Instagram. Going into the winter, we had seven hives. Three of the hives were already dead. Oh. Maybe more. Um, Was that because of weather? Weather and bees are a finicky thing. It's not easy keeping bees. And uh, I keep bees with a friend of mine named Mike. And Mike has become more of the beekeeper and I've become more of the carpenter who's going to help out and do things. And um, beekeeping is a lot of work. And uh, I might even take a year off. It depends if if we end up like not, we end up having like one or two hives that make it through. I might just say, okay, I'll do, you know, let me just help out here and there. But then just take some time off because. Do people uh, view it as something that you just kind of like set it and forget it? You know, I think you, I think with one or two hives, you could do that. But it's like anything, you get one or two hives, like, oh, four or five hives, and then you get more, and then you get more. <laughs> and um, I just need a three-quarter inch chisel. Yeah, <laughs> it, well, there you go. <laughs> I got ten or more. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, it, I, I recognized last year that I spent a lot of time doing beekeeping work, cleaning hives, cleaning frames, things like that. And uh, uh, we'll see. Yeah. But as far as queens... Um, you know, what happens is if the hive starts to get pretty big, uh, the queen might signal that they need more space. And if the queen leaves, then theoretically there should be enough nurse bees and and other bees in the hive to create another queen. And um, But then what happens is you end up with a weak hive. So you want to always try to keep your 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 beehive from swarming. That's what happens when the queen leaves half of the hive leaves with it. And that's a swarm. Hmm. And, um, where does the queen go? They look for another home. Uh huh. So they yeah. just what, like fly up into a tree and they, they kind of cluster up there. Right? Yep. You end up with a, they call it a, um, is it a bee cluster or something like that? Uh, a bee swarm, you know, like that. Where that's, do you get the queen? Well, when you're just getting into beekeeping, you go to like a, an apiary and you buy either a, a a nuclear a nuke, which is half of a beehive, or you buy, I think it's a one pound box of bees hmm. that comes with a queen, and you shake them into a hive, and right away they start making a honeycomb to store their to to start to make homes for the, not the babies, but the eggs. 
What's a pound of bees cost? What's the going rate for a pound? I of think bees? it might be. I mean, I think it's three pounds. I, was, I think I it's was a like man. That's a lot of bees. I think it's a three pound box of bees. Yeah, that's a lot of bees. Yeah, it's a three pound box of bees, I believe, and uh, it's about a hundred bucks. Do those come chocolate coated? <laughs> Thirty three bucks a pound. Yeah, that seems like I mean, a there's got to be thousands of bees. And so it's funny because I I started keeping bees in top bar hives, which is a, a much different way to keep bees, but I really enjoyed that. And then I started keeping bees in Langstroh hives with my friends because I didn't have any success. What is it? Those differences? are like the horizontal ones. Yeah, Langstroh is like the is named after the guy who who came up with this idea. His last name was Langstroh, and um, apparently there's like a three eighths bee spacing in between each frame, and that's the optimum spacing for these bees. And it just makes sense because if you think of your like a professional bee operation, you could fit four hives on a pallet. They can be moved around. They can be brought to different um, orchards and things like that because the money in beekeeping is not selling honey or wax. It's in pollination. Yeah, so it's really like bringing it from farm to farm for um, almond almond, um, trees and things like that. Citrus? Yeah, for pollinators. That's what they're using for. I saw something recently. It's like uh, bees are directly responsible for 37% of all food production or something. Like without without the bees, 37% of... And the biodiversity. Like the bees actually created all of these different types of fruits and vegetables due to cross-pollination and stuff. You know, I hear the same things and I think that that's probably true. But at the same rate, I don't think that honeybees are native to north america yeah i guess it's not just honeybees but like even like uh bumblebees oh yeah okay and like, uh some of like the hornets and wasp kind of things i guess that that go um into plants yeah but isn't that funny though you always hear about honeybees and honeybees have only been in north america i think for like you know maybe 200 years mm-hmm. because i think that was a european thing and so most beekeepers are keeping either uh italian bees or russian bees hmm. So, um, I don't know. It's, there's a lot to learn there. I think uh, I'll continue to do it. We'll see how it goes. But one day when I have more time, I hope to have just like one or two top bar hives. It's a little bit different. You're not, the way you deal with a top bar hive is you're, the bees create their own comb that hangs from a top bar. Mm-hmm. And you just continually add bars as the hive gets bigger and instead of when we go to harvest a hive, we we pick like a honey super off the top of the hive. We take all that honey off, honey frames out of there, leaving enough honey for the bees. And then we uh, spin that honey. And a centrifugal you... With a centrifugal force in a honey spinner. Yeah. And the way that you would harvest honey from a top bar hive is you would just go in there and be like, oh, here's a nice comb, or not comb, a bar full of capped honeycomb, and just take it. So you open up the hive, take that one bar, maybe two bars, and leave it. You 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 really don't disturb the hive all that much. And if you think about it, the top bar hive is more like a tree where natural bees would be anyway. So maybe they have mm-hmm. a better way of fighting things like varroa mite and stuff like that and you take those uh then you take your honeycomb and you crush and crush and strain it 
and that's how you harvest that honey. So you just crush it all down, put it through a strainer, a paint strainer, mm. and that's how you get your honey. So they'll start, they'll sort of like fill up all the combs and then just move on to another one. Yeah. And like, so there's nothing really going on in that one anymore. And you could just take it out. And no, they're like, just, they just put that there to save it up. They're like a squirrel with nuts. Yeah. You know, they're just well, like saving it up. Yeah. <laughs> so they're just saving that up for the winter. They're going to mm-hmm. have, they're going to need that carbohydrate to eat and keep themselves warm because they keep, they keep the hive warm by vibrating. Uh, around like the queen mm-hmm. and then they they're like penguins where they just are like a circulating ball oh, wow. so the ones on the inside that are now warmer work their way to the outside and they keep kind of doing that throughout wow. the winter huh. like, and in order to do that they need to eat honey yeah. it's like geese like you know they fly in the v and the oh, one in the yeah. front takes the most wind resistance and then eventually they go to the back and yep. work in you know a that's Just right. like bicycle riding and yeah, drafting. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Now, this is a, a topical question from Chris. See Chris S on Instagram. How long do you steam the wood and does the species of wood matter with bending? <laughs> do we know the answer? Well, we know the answer to the first part. I don't know if we're qualified to answer these uh, bending questions, but um from what I've seen, an hour per inch is a pretty standard um, guesstimate. Mm-hmm. So we have one inch white oak. We actually steam the second one for um, almost two, close to two hours, an hour fifty minutes. Now I think most of these figures are for uh, green wood. This is kiln dried wood, and what happens is the lignin in the wood actually gets sort of set. Yeah. So when they kiln dry it, it's essentially it's baked. So uh, the lignin gets set, and it's not as um, susceptible to the steam. So you have to go a little bit longer, and that's what the soaking is for. Um, with green wood, I mean, some green wood you can just bend yeah, straight away You just uh, not, without even steaming it. But um, So, yeah, anywhere between an hour to two hours an inch, I think, is a common measurement. We don't really know anything about the differences in uh, species. No, uh, straight grain wood is what you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, an inch of run out per foot maximum, they say. Yeah, we'll keep you apprised of that one. Yeah, you may <laughs> you may want to uh, consult some more seasoned veterans. <laughs> but you would think, like, if you were just taking this right from a log off the sawmill mm-hmm. and then throwing, you could almost do it without. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's pretty meat. So, yeah, you'd so see wet. The, wa- yeah, the water shooting out. Of yeah, the you would. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, like, uh, I don't know what it is, like, straight off of a cut tree, but, like, 30% uh, moisture content's probably not out of the question. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because yeah. even in this tight bend that we did, there was no, like, water squeezing out of this. No, no. This thing and was soaking for 10 days. As soon as you take it out of the steam box, like, the surface, like, almost flash dries. It yeah. It dry. Yeah. I don't know if it's because it's already so hot that... You know, once the steam isn't contained anymore, it's just evaporating. Um, I don't know. We're really just in the infancy of doing any yeah. type of steam. Yeah. We're learning as we go. Yeah, and but who knows? May, this might not even work out for these. I think it's going to work. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to work. It looks pretty good. <laughs> John's our resident optimist. Today. Hey. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Ethan Broska, Broska. Ethan Braska on Instagram wants to know, 
Can you help a novice woodworker prioritize what tools and skills to start with? It's a good one. Yeah. I would say um, we're going to talk about hand tools, I guess, because they're uh, accessible and, and relatively cheap. I would say uh, a Japanese saw, like a um, Gaikucho 372, which is a dovetail saw, they call it. Um, super thin kerf. It's a pull saw. And probably a good good Western block plane would would be a good place to start. And that was for hand tools? Yeah. Did he say power tools also? Uh, just priorita- prioritize what tools and skills to start with. Yeah, I think those are good. Yeah. Power tools, your basic drill and driver is really um, going to be a mainstay. Yeah, you can do a lot with a combo kit. Yeah. Random Orbit Sander help yeah. you for finishing. That'll save you a few hours. What about skills? Cutting to a line. Yeah. Marking, measuring. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say accurate measuring and cutting is uh, is highly overlooked. Like <laughs> people rely on stop blocks a lot, which can actually be inaccurate. Mm-hmm. So if you can, you know. Cut a square end, measure over, and then split your line and do that over and over again. Yeah. You're going to be pretty well off because you can't always use a stop block. We, you know, we have a, um, I don't even know what this goes to, maybe 49, 50 inches. Well, if you're cutting a seven foot long piece, the stop block doesn't yeah, really do you any good. Do you any good. So you need to be able to cut to a line uh, on the miter saw or, or yeah. whatever. Safety. You know, getting the good safety habits. And take your time in realizing that you can't skip steps. There's no <laughs> there such go. thing. Like, it's, <laughs> like you have to pre-drill if right. you're going to put a screw in. Are you going to split the wood and right. it's just going to waste time? Or even worse, break your screw off. and then Oh, there you go. And you have two pieces that are stuck together. Not, not yeah. with a tight joint. Oh. Two separate pieces with a screw going through them. Yeah, now you've got an eighth of an inch gap. Yeah. And you got to figure, okay. That's I like I, I did it on this today. And I've been doing this for, whatever, 10 years now. Um, tried to put in a screw and find the hole through the metal. And I said, eh, I'm just going to put it in here. Broke the screw off, and now there's a little cap. Yeah. Found that head. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I got the head out. <laughs> the skills that you should work on are whatever's in the project you're going to build. Yeah, um, yeah. So pick something you want to do and, and focus on that, and then move on to something else. You got to just... just uh, learn as you go, I think, is the best way. Yeah, that's a good idea. Master the hand tools, the fundamentals of... I mean, it's not too early to get involved in uh, learning about design and good proportion and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, like, don't start with hand-cut dovetails. <laughs> <laughs> start with something simple, and then um, as your skills build, you'll be able to move that's on a, to that's more... That's a good way to put it, too. ...more advanced uh, techniques. What, what did we hear the other day about, was it you, John, or who said, you know, that you should build a project around what you know, but have a certain amount of something that you don't know that's going to challenge you? Do you remember that? Mm, I think that might have just been us that said was that. Was that us? <laughs> we had that question on the last podcast, like, yeah. uh, you know, how can I um, incorporate mortise and tenon joinery into mm-hmm. my project or... But it was it was good. It must have been you then, because I I probably would have remembered if I said it. I don't know. I'm maybe. guessing maybe. <laughs> but, but that's 
makes sense because it's yeah. increasing your vocabulary, and if you increase your design vocabulary, then you increase your design your design vocabulary. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing that right now with something as simple as just undermount drawers. I just never use the undermount drawer slides for whatever reason. And we're finding a lot of people have it. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um, like you guys have already said, once you use them, you're not going to use anything else. <laughs> you don't go they're back. So much better. Yeah, and uh, they're not difficult. It's just, uh, you know, it, it, when things get metric for me, I start to glaze over. Yeah, I'm sure people feel the same way. When, <laughs> you know, I always get the question, "Why do you do everything in inches?" Because um, uh, that's what we do. Yeah, I know. That's what we do. They taught us yeah. in school. Um, <laughs> Sorry. But, you know, it's funny. Like, I asked you guys a few questions. I asked a bunch of questions. And it's just like, okay, now I know how to do these things. And now if I'm going to, you know, build this chest of drawers. And the funny thing is I'm building a chest of drawers, and I'm working with a, a company uh, named uh, GL Veneer. And they sent me two pieces of veneer to do this project. And I'm using the white oak because more people as I actually kind of wanted the white oak, yeah. but I was surprised that most people were like, oh, do the white oak. Everybody does walnut. Hmm. Or do a combination. So I'm go- going to do a white oak chest of drawers on a walnut base. That's I think cool. those go to- well together. Yeah, yeah. And a very kind of modern look. So now that I've got this piece of Claro uh, walnut, I'm already thinking, oh, I'm making another, like a server or something, and I'm going to use these undermount drawers. And it just... Because I know how to use them now, I'm thinking, oh, that's a way I can design around them. Yeah. You know? And I think one of the reasons why I'm going with the undermount drawers, and I because I like wood on wood, is just the fact that I know that the drawers are gonna stop and not get pulled out of the cabinet and it's a shallow cabinet. Yep. You know? They move super uh, freely. Like yep. side mounts, if everything isn't exactly right, they bind up or they um you know, they have like a lot of slop side to side, I feel like. With the undermounts, everything just feels really yeah. nice. They slide in and out really well. The yeah. soft clothes works really nicely. That bedroom set um, that we I built right before we started the company, yeah. and it was real craftsman-y. And, Maple and uh, lacewood. Yeah. It had a tall dresser and a low dresser. And this guy was really uh, oriented towards the handmade stuff and... Uh, craftsman era furnishings, but he specifically asked for the undermount slides wow. as opposed to the wood drawer slides because the the ease of use, you know, through the years is just and they hold up. You've seen kitchens that yeah, have had them yeah. for oh, yeah, yeah, okay, and they're uh, I think they're rated higher, you know, weight wise than side mounts. Okay, yeah, I you think know, it's like something like a hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could load them up with silverware, and I mean, our drawers themselves weigh—I <laughs> yeah. don't even know, twenty pounds, some yeah. of them, maybe more. It's it's nice too because you don't see the slide, so it gives you that yeah. sort of, you know, all right, this is a a, a hand built drawer. You could see the dovetails and everything like that, and the yeah. workmanship that goes into the drawer box. Yeah, I can't imagine like. Putting a side mount slide on, on, on one of our drawers. Of yeah, drawers. no, <laughs> it's like sacrilege. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are nice. I was just looking at that. That's a nice drawer. Yeah, that's how we build all our drawers. And it's all done with a router. Yeah, yeah, and a Keller jig. Should do a video on that if you guys want to do a video yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's 
somewhere around here, up there. Yeah, right? it's up there. And the two, you know, two dedicated routers, one with the dovetail bit. And you just keep them set up like that all it. the time. Yeah. And you always make your drawers out of three quarter inch material. Yep. Yeah. Not five eighths. No. No. I mean, I'm just, just I'm thinking. It's just a little, a little beefier. <laughs> yeah. You know, we build one inch face frames and doors. Most people use three quarter. So, yeah. yeah, we do everything a little bit heavier duty. It's, you know, what is that? One eighth inch is what, 20%? Yeah, it makes a big difference, I think. Yeah. It does. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you can see when, you, like, when we plane something to three quarter, it looks incredibly thin to us. Yeah. Because we're so used to working at one inch thickness. One inch is our base thickness for so much of our material. Yeah. So when you get your material raw, it's at five quarter. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be inch and inch and a quarter, or sometimes inch and three eighths. And you're and you're planing it down here. Right. Yeah. And then you know we can take the twist out. We can take yep. the cup out. Um, if we want it to be an inch and a sixteenth, it could be an inch and a sixteenth or an yeah. inch and an eighth or whatever. It doesn't yeah. have to be, you know, we're not constrained by S4S sizing. <clears throat> no, that definitely, uh, <clears throat> that definitely, you definitely have a point with that. I mean, with the inch over three quarter, that's substantial. That's, oh, you my know, five percent. Yeah. Yeah, that's so huge. Stronger joints and, and things like that. Yeah, like, you know, we like to build doors with a half-inch panel. You can't do that with three-quarter-inch material. And your and your drawer bottoms are three-eighths? Yeah. And are you using Baltic? Uh, just regular three-eighths yeah. plywood. Three-eighths plywood. Cabinet, yeah. yeah, cabinet grade. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just, it's just what we solid. do, and it's not doesn't work for everybody, but... Uh, the quarter-inch Baltic, I think, is like almost like a true quarter-inch. That's mm-hmm. kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with us, like the three ace fits really well with the Keller jig. We have three sizes of drawer where, because you need it to fall in a certain spot. Sure. Um, otherwise, it, it just doesn't work with the half inch for the, the undermount because you need a half inch and then three ace of a dado. <laughs> yeah. So you have that seven ace there where things need to fall within the right spot on the dovetails. So we have like a four and nine sixteenths or something mm-hmm. and then a six. Six and an eighth and a yeah. nine and three quarters somewhere. Those are the three standard, our three standard drawer sizes. Hmm. All right. What's this our next is, one This here? is actually pretty topical as well. Another one of our patrons, Rich, is asking, Yeah. if you had to completely redo your dust collection system, what would you change and what would you keep the same? Well, we're actually... Um, Hoping to at some point this year repipe the whole shop with dust collection. Um, it's kind of just you know a patchwork now because we moved all the machines around a couple times and added new machines. We have new machine coming. Um, I think uh, the the dust collector we have is maybe a little underpowered at this mm-hmm. point. It's like a, a 1900 CFM, um, and we have one, two, uh, two three, four, five six, seven, seven big machines hooked up to it. Um, so maybe uh, if we could completely redo it, a bigger dust collector, I think an airlock would be nice. Yeah, I mean, we have gates on every machine, and we re- that's pretty much how we operate, you know, yeah. one machine at a time. Um, an airlock so that it would just empty itself. Mm-hmm. So you can actually have a at the bottom of the cyclone an airlock, which is like a, uh, who was it, Eric Blake, Blake Woodworks explained it like a revolving door 
So this thing, every you could set it to 60 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever, it'll turn and eject the dust out into like just a garbage can. So it remains wow. pressurized, and that seal just turns and empties out. Wow. Um, with ours, you know, we have like a, what is it, 35-gallon? Yeah. 35-gallon drum underneath, and we have to go out sometimes every, if we're planing, I mean, every 10 minutes sometimes to go out Jeez. there and, and dump it yeah, out. It'll fill up fast. Yeah. So with that, sure, it'll with empty out into whatever size container you have. And, um, you know, you could just dump it at your leisure, I guess. Yeah. I, I tell you, if I, I mean, the things I would keep the same, probably the only thing I would definitely keep the same is having the underground, under the slab for the table saws. I like that. Yeah. I might tweak the design a little bit, but I like having that underneath the floor. I would be curious about going with maybe, if not a bigger collector, maybe two collector system, mm-hmm. where one is on this side of the shop, especially for the sander. Yeah. Because it's got so much fine dust, I feel like it almost needs its own collector. Yeah, I mean, we've learned as we've looked into um, redoing this that, like, the way we have it set up is not <laughs> not ideal. Like, really, we should have 8-inch pipe almost all the way to the tool with like a shorter six inch run of Mm -hmm. the smaller smaller diameter um between a four inch and a five inch you actually like double the velocity of the air so in a one inch difference you double the velocity so by going six inch straight out of the machine which has an eight inch port uh like we're already kind of screwing ourselves there and um you know we have spots where it goes from five to from six to five and from six to four, those need to be sort of tapered and longer. So, like re-engineering the whole thing is—it's definitely going to bring some more efficiency. Um, yeah, th- I mean it's physics. Yeah, um, fluid dynamics. Yeah. So that, that's what we do. We'd probably read a little bit more. Um, I got plenty of time for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you want to read the next question? Yeah. Sure. Um, this is from John Welsh 21 on Instagram. How do you guys delineate who does what on a build? Do you guys have your specialties or do you switch back and forth so you're not always doing the same thing? That's a good question. I, I mean, it's hard to say. I don't even know how, how we do it. Um, we kind of just show up in the morning and do... <laughs> We're both kind of worker bees. Yeah. So we just do, we, you know... And I, I think also we're both cognizant of the grunt work type of thing. So we're never going to let the other person do all that. Like if, if I've seen Jeff's been sanding for two days, there's no way I'm going to come in on the third day and go, you almost done with that sanding, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> and likewise. Yeah, that right? makes sense. So you just share the work. You know what needs to be done. Yeah. Like, just pick something and do it because every job is quantitative. Like, there's yeah. all these things that have to get done, and the job isn't done until they're all finished. So right. when you show up in the morning, either you pick up what you were doing and finish it or just pick something that yeah. needs to be done and just do it. And then that's one thing that's checked off the list. Sure. Do you, um, do you make a list like every day? Like, oh, that needs to be done? Or No, sometimes we will. Um, but we're pretty... We used to do that when it was the three of us because... <laughs> trying to Because like, somebody needed to be yeah, told what to, to be do. like, 
Yeah, rather than trying to delegate things all day. But, um, I mean, sometimes we might not even look at each other, talk to each other for two hours because we're just so engrossed in what we're doing that we're just working towards whatever it is. And then, um, you know, occasionally we're like, all right, uh, what do you think I should do? Or And then have that conversation as to what's going to best push the job forward. You know, we intuitively, like, know what needs to get done. Like, Like, if Rob is... Uh, doing some finishing. I'm like, I know I got to get this done so that he can finish that while he's sure. finishing these other parts. Um, a lot of it's nonverbal and just... That makes total sense because it's you're... only two of us. Yeah, it's only the two of you and, you, and you're all and you're both working towards the same goal. Yeah. Right, right. And nobody wants to, you know... I think we're both more likely to pick the less desirable of the jobs left. There's something... Uh, sometimes relaxing about those jobs anyway oh, because yeah. those less desirable jobs sometimes don't take as much brain power right. so you can kind of think and be like okay well this needs to get done i'm just and, gonna sit here and sand yeah today. i'm just gonna sand and get yeah. this done you're like i keep messing up this like whatever i'm just gonna put in my headphones turn yeah. the sander on and just yeah. i can't mess this up so yeah i'll just sit here with the sander and like i came in on uh was it sunday with Hunter and yeah. I just like I finished the the stuff for the doors so that on Monday they'd be ready for Rob to put together so there's something beautiful about doing those little things on Sunday that make Monday go so much smoother yeah yeah like we'd be a day behind on the not behind but we'd be a yeah. day sure. or a day further ahead on the doors than we would be if yeah. I, I love I love doing things like that on the weekend yeah. it's just like three or four hours or two or three hours here yeah just makes the week go so much better yeah, it's amazing sometimes, like, how long it takes to do these little things. Like, I literally, I finished four panels, four of the top rail fang uh, assemblies, we're calling them, and, um, and one part of the back. And the, it took me four hours to do all that. Yeah. yeah. It takes time. That's the thing with woodworking. It takes time. There's nothing quick about it. No. No, and if, especially if you're trying to do really quality stuff, like... It demands that you take time. Yeah. That time's the least important thing as far as like pushing a job out the door. Like we don't we don't use that as a, unless a client has a, a specific demand, mm-hmm. the the work is what takes precedence, not oh we have to have this done Tuesday. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree with that. I mean, it's different like I I think when I was First starting making YouTube videos, it was a major push to try to get a project done in a week. Yeah. Uh, but now I don't really put that on myself. Uh, you know you're working as hard as you can. Well, that's the other thing, too. Like, to. sometimes I'll say, shit, I didn't get anything done like I wanted to get done. But I haven't been looking at my phone and I'm not watching TV. And right. was, I'm getting something done. It's just not, you know, there's only the so much that can get done. job at yeah. the moment. You know? But the other thing, too, is... Uh, I I now when I'm making projects for YouTube like a furniture build, I can take six weeks doing it if it, if it needs that. Mm-hmm. You know, just because it, nobody cares at the end of the day when the video goes up or the piece of furniture gets delivered how long it took yeah. if it's not right. That's right. You yeah, know? and sometimes you need um, you know like days of preparatory work, which seems like nothing is getting done, and then. You have a day or two where it's like the project goes from non-existent to almost finished because you were doing all this time setting up 
um, your jigs or whatever, whatever it is. Like when we did those window grills, mm-hmm. um, they were just sticks <laughs> and all this preparation. <laughs> and then the next day they were fully assembled. Yeah. So it takes it takes a lot of time to just wrap your head around what you're doing sometimes. Yeah. And it, it pays off because, yeah. you know, um, you're you're working through the problems before they happen. Absolutely. And that's uh, that's like where I am with this chest of drawers. I haven't even started it yet. But I took time to get the correct plywood and not be building it with plywood that I didn't want to use and to learn how to use these undermounts. Mm-hmm. So now, I mean, it's a chest of drawers. It's basically a box with three drawers. <laughs> yeah. So now that I know how to do that and I've got the material, I'm going to, and I had to wait for the veneer. Now I can just go ahead and bang mm-hmm. that out. And I wouldn't be surprised that uh, by Friday next week, it should be 90% yeah, done. Yep. And that's just how things go. Nice. Yeah. What's up next? Yeah, we got the one from Who the 90. I'm not sure what your name is. I, I tried to find out, but. Repeat offender on the podcast. Yeah. Um, is craftsmanship higher if you use traditional joinery versus dominoes, biscuits, and CNC? That's an interesting question. Yeah. What do you think? Is craftsmanship higher? Yeah. Is it a higher level of craftsmanship if you're using, we'll say, like uh, through mortise and tenon versus dominoes or biscuits or CNC? I don't really... That question doesn't come into mind. I just care about the finished product and the design. Yeah. However you get there, you get there. Yeah, like it's uh, it's not the same design. It, you're not going to use the same design for something that's built with dominoes versus something that's built with traditional joinery. To me, like if it's a... a, a um, I don't think hidden mortise and tenon would be the right terminology, but... yeah. A blind, if it was are, a blind mortise and tenon, yeah. like you were physically cutting a tenon onto the end and cutting a mortise, and it was blind where you didn't see the joinery, use the domino. Yeah. I don't care. Like you said, I don't care that it, that you hand cut it. It is, it is a higher level of craftsmanship, but to the end user and to everybody else, it's still the same thing. It's no stronger. It's no better looking. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's kind of like... Um, a self-indulgent kind of thing, I guess. Yeah, if you have the time and that's what makes you happy, go ahead and do it. Yeah, yeah. But if you have the domino and you just want to get the product project done, uh, then then do that. Uh, obviously, through mortise and tenon is a, a different situation. Yeah, you get a different look. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I think they call the domino a loose mortise and tenon. Yeah, or a, um, a slip tenon, I think they call it sometimes. Right, so it's an actual form of joinery. It's just... Now you have this machine that cuts it, but is it any different than uh, like a benchtop mortiser? I mean, not really. It's you're using a machine to cut a slot or you know a hole. Is it is it different from using a drill and then cleaning it up with a chisel? Um, so it's different skill sets for sure. But craftsmanship, I think, as you were alluding to, John, is is in the finished product. Yeah, and how you can best get that. I mean, because no matter what tool you're using, it's going to take skill to use that tool. Right. Yeah. You know, you're going to use it correctly you or incorrectly. You don't just pick up the domino no. and instantly uh, make doors with it. Exactly. And it's, everything fits, and it's, I mean, it's, it's a tool, like a chisel's a tool. What about a CNC, though? 
Well, that's a that's another entirely different skill set. That's going to involve more uh, like design strength, where everything has to be three D yeah, forethought. CAD. Like yeah. you've pictured this out. You're not working through it at all. You've 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 manufactured this on paper first, and now plugged all this information into the machine. You've positioned, as Manny's told us. You don't just plop a piece of wood on the CNC and press go. It's got to be pinpoint accuracy yeah, where the machine origins is. and or the right bits. Now so, that guy that programs the machine, is, do you call him a craftsman? I would call I'm him a programmer. De- I'm playing, uh, you know, not devil's right. Advocate, yeah, that's. I would call him a programmer. I would call the guy who might be assembling that. Uh, depending on the level of skill required, a craftsman. Um, you know, like if you're assembling knockdown type furniture from IKEA, which is probably all cut on a CNC, I wouldn't call you a craftsman. You're an assembler. Yeah. So depending on the design, it, you know, it's like, like a design design engineer. You yeah. know, whoever's yeah. who's ever coming up with that. Uh, right now, for me, it's just beyond me. I. I for one reason is space. I don't have the space for one. Yeah. But at the same time, right now, I don't have any problems with CNC, but right now I just don't have any desire to bring that into my workflow. It's yeah. not what I want to do. Yeah. Right. And I'm saying right now, if I had, say, an assistant working with me who wanted to take that workload on and could show me the value of it and how it would work to help me out, then I think it would be a great thing. And I could see actually using it in artwork. I could see... I don't. See, I see it more in artwork for me than mm-hmm. I do in furniture, but um, but right now where I'm at, I just don't. I'm not thinking that way. Yeah, yeah. We would have to to come up with um, things to use it for. I feel like like it would be good for um, shop fixtures and stuff like that. Like you know, being able to design if we wanted some kind of blast gate mechanism, something like that. Because trying to make that. From scratch with pieces of plywood and stuff like that's that's it's a very time consuming. The most of the time is in figuring it out, and then you have to translate that into routers and table saws and all and band saws and sanding and this and that. So if you, if you could figure it out and then just plug, you know, draw it in Fusion and then plug it into the machine, um, it would save a lot of time. It would be much more accurate. So I could see it for stuff like that, but the kind of stuff we build. There's just not a whole lot of demand for a CNC. I don't see it right now. I don't see it, but um, I have a I have an open mind for it, and I, I think for me, I have a more of an open mind for how I could use it with artwork one day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd love to have one. What I, bothers me, like I don't have anything against the CNC, but I see guys like using the CNC for things that you could just use regular, like flattening a board on a CNC that's like a six inch wide board. <laughs> He's a joiner. <laughs> Just get a joiner for like you can get like a five hundred dollar joiner that will do that, and it'll yeah. do it you know a hundred times faster. Yeah, I think for me a lot of it is just fear, not wanting to. Well, fear of something taking up space mm-hmm. and occupying time. Uh, that's why I say if I had somebody working with me who really that was their skill set, and and was intuitive to what I wanted to do then I think there could be some real value. And yeah. if I had a market for what I could make with it, mm-hmm. then it all makes sense. Right now, for me, it just doesn't make sense. Right now, 
I just want to make furniture, design and build furniture. Yeah. Can make those live, laugh, live, laugh, love signs. Engraved. Yeah. With CNC. That's that's what you can do with a CNC. Yeah. <laughs> What's it called? Live, laugh, love. Yeah. Like you see them, you know, in somebody's kitchen. There you go. Or uh, we gather here. Yeah. With like a cornucopia. There's a market for that. <laughs> no cussing, no fussing. But I think. No back but I, I think that I think that Michaels and. Um, and Bed Bath Beyond yeah. already have yeah. that market yeah. cornered. Yeah, that's it. Pure yeah. one's close. Can't yeah. compete with those prices. <laughs> you can't. You go into one of those places and you see something for nine ninety nine. You're like, oh, yeah. I can't buy a board We're for like, that. Yeah, but this is made out of um, you know cherry. And they're like, yeah, we don't, no. don't care. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is a good question from Adam F. Patron, Far Out Woodworks on Instagram. Thank you, Adam. What are some non-furniture woodworking products, projects you want to make? Boats, instruments, etc. You got anything for that, John? Non-furniture? I will say the first thing I ever made woodworking was a skateboard. That's cool. That was the whole reason why I wanted to get into skate. Uh, Is that a laminate top? Or? <laughs> solid red oak. Um, Red Oaks make a comeback. It was a it was a Cadillac. Um, An Eldorado. Something um, (laughs) that was practical. (laughs) I want to make some sculptural furniture. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of a mixture of the two. Yeah, it's kind of uh, like. And when I think of sculptural furniture, I think of uh, coffee tables with glass tops. Mm -hmm. You know, so. you know, maybe um, is it a Sama Noguchi made that table? That's uh, kind of like the the three pins. Oh yes, yeah. yes. Um, but uh, not you know, and then maybe just uh, some some utensils like spoons and, and spatulas, things like that. Cutting oh, the boards. Spoons out, remember spoons. Yeah, out. spoons out. Most mostly spatulas. <laughs> what about a ladle. I feel like a ladle is more practical than a spoon. It probably is, but it's probably more practical to just buy to just buy a metal one. Yeah, you know that's a lot of work. I saw Jimmy Dureston made a label once a long time ago. Yeah. It was really cool, and I think he put lacquer on it. And uh, it was really funny because in the comments it said, uh, "And I'm a big fan of Jimmy Dureston. I'm sure he laughed about it." And he's the comments was like, um, uh, "Lacquer, it's what's for breakfast." Oh God. <laughs> But, you know, it's like, you know, it was one of those Jimmy Duresta videos where he just like banged the whole thing out on a bandsaw. Yeah, he's a he's a master. On yeah, the bandsaw he is. With that thin little blade, because I guess uh, he was like a sign maker. He's he done young. a million different things. Yeah, when he was young. So I he think liked... he's still a sign. I mean, he still does that stuff. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, he he's a master on the bandsaw and a ton of different tools. I mean, there's a guy who can use a CNC and, mm-hmm. and yeah. make it work for him. Yeah, he's got every every tool in the kit. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. What about you, Jeff? Um, I'd like to make a guitar or a bass. Yeah. I played a little bit of guitar, a little bit of bass. I was never any good, but um, I'd like to make one just for just for kicks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I've made a few instruments, and um, there's some really rewarding uh, moments in making that. But sanding those curves <laughs> where all the burn marks are, you know, on the little horns. Oh God! I I I, I just made those four feet. <laughs> that's all I could think of. So that's like that's like eight guitars. I know. You need a little spindle sander. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so if I, I mean, I probably, how many have I made? One, two, three. I've probably made six or eight, I can't remember now, guitars and basses. And if I made, before I made another one, I would have to make sure I had all my ducks in a row equipment wise because I'm not hand sanding those parts <laughs> ever again. Did you make the fretboards too? No, no. I was going to say, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, it yeah. is. And it's not, I mean, it's it's difficult, but they have so many uh, aids and how to lay it out and the fret saws and everything. So it's it's not that it's the work is insurmountable, but it takes so much time and there's no money in it for yeah. somebody like me. Yeah. So the most I will do for someone, because these are basically gifts, yeah. is choose the wood, make the body, wire it all up, you know, drill it all out and make all the cavities, fit the store-bought neck, and um, you know, I'll make it playable. But then I'll bring it to a guitar tech who will do all of the... Small wow. nuances of intonation, uh, intonation and everything else. Wow, I, I didn't even know there was like such a thing as like bringing it to another. Oh uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Stumac, which is like a yeah. they're a distributor of like uh, guitar making tools. Stuart McDonald. And, yeah, yeah, they have a YouTube channel and they have this guy David Eldridge or something is his, is his name. Uh, maybe it's not Eldridge, something like that. And he's like the like the luthier and he makes all these videos about like refretting a guitar and uh it's a great uh, resource yeah, changing out the tuning pegs it's it's cool because it's like woodworking and guitar Neat. it's amazing how many great resources there are like like yeah. you just said that's a great resource it's like think about it they today. have all yeah. this stuff like oh you want to know how to wire up two humbuckers with a push-pull pot to like um you know separate the coils on the bridge humbucker Here's the diagram. This just, I just got <laughs> off topic know, because. Like, it's all free. Yeah. I just got off topic because I just started thinking once you, we were talking about all the different learning resources. Now, you are a teacher. Yeah. And I heard. Um, U.S. Uh, history, my man. I heard, uh, what's his name? Um, more interesting every day. <laughs> That's right. It'd be interesting to be teaching history nowadays, but they don't let you talk about stuff. No, no. I can't imagine. You can't, you know. <laughs> you can't say anything. You can't say anything today. <laughs> but uh, I heard, uh, who's the, the guy with the electric car? Um, Tesla? Elon Musk. Oh, yeah. He was saying that college, you know, you need college to be a doctor. You need college to be a lawyer. But most people don't need college. Mm -hmm. And uh, what are your feelings on that? I mean, um, I think college is a great opportunity for young people to socialize and and grow emotionally and experience things outside their their neighborhood and hometown if they need it, and most importantly, if they can afford it. Yeah, it can be an awfully expensive vacation for most kids and a hardship on families and young adults coming out with a, a non-marketable Well, that's the funny thing, like a non-marketable degree, because I have a lot of friends who went to art school and graduated yeah. with an art degree. <laughs> there you go. And, I, and my, I've gone way far further with my non-art degree. I just took a couple of art classes. And, and I always thought, you know, wow, why are they getting spending all this money on an art degree or a philosophy degree or, you know, some of these uh, 
degrees where you're spending so much money on. And I was thinking maybe four or five years ago, like, hey, maybe this whole college thing will be done by the time my kids get there. Uh, but then, of course, that wasn't, and so I'm putting the bill for... It's probably gotten worse. Oh, it's ridiculous how much, you know, that's... I'm kind of... I have this Vermont dream that everybody knows about, but it's on hold until Michael graduates about 18 months from now. And then I can start thinking, like, oh, okay, here's... Yeah. I've got some opportunity to do some things. But right now, I'm getting my kids through school. And then I have a reprieve until Olivia goes yeah. to school. But I almost think when by the time it's time for her to go to college, she'll go, I, I'm sure. But the need to go to college yeah. is just going to be less and less and less. It, it, it yeah. all depends. I mean, kids, it, you're asking somebody who's 18 years old, all right, what are you going to do now for the rest of your life? Right? Make a decision. Yeah. In the next, you know, 45 years. And. And then after you decide, we're going to tell you whether or not that's a viable investment for you to spend your 120 or however much it is, $200,000. Like uh, my young friend Christopher, he wanted to be an engineer. All right, there's an investment. He yeah. knew he was going to get a job the minute he graduated because he was a dedicated student and he was going into a field that hired people right off you know, the graduation line. And it's so highly specialized and the information is he needed to go to college right. to get that information. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an example where like you kind of have to go to college. You, you can't become an engineer on the job. Right. Now me, I have a degree in history. I mean, I could have learned all that stuff by just reading the same books I did. I wouldn't have been as enjoyable. You know, you, ha you learn from your professor. Sure. So there's something to be said for that. But I already knew I wanted to teach history. Other, there's no other job. I mean, what do you do with a history degree? It's an art degree. It's a yeah. degree in English. It's There's no job for that except teacher. Yeah, no, it's just... Um, <laughs> you can write so, history books. <laughs> yeah, so, but if you want to go to work for $32,000 a year at, as a brand new teacher somewhere and then work your way up, you know, it's a 20-year plan. Eventually, you'll make, depending on what, what city you live in, 90, you know, New York City teachers are making more than $100,000 a year now by the time they've put in their 25 years. But it's a it's a road to go from, I think, starting pay was 39000 hmm. That's not a lot of money living in New York City. No, no, and, can't do that. Um, you know, you know, getting your few thousand dollar year raises and if you think it's easy go get your degree and and try it my friend it's not that easy and deal with those kids oh kids my god and the workload and all the no, that's a ton of teaching is a ton of work it's just it makes me think of like hunter who he's three now uh yeah not even what the college situation will be when when he's ready to go if yeah. it will be necessary or mm -hmm. it's going to have to change yeah it's definitely going to have because my kids all went to college or you know they're going now except for olivia isn't there yet um but jack went to uvm the other boys are going to colleges that are not quite as expensive but still it's a ridiculous amount of money oh yeah and i was the one who was saying hey let's Let's let them go to Brookdale for two years. Mm -hmm. That's what my cousin did. And then, but, Those you know. Those credits transfer. <laughs> yeah. And they're way cheaper. 
Well, that's what I wanted to do, but you know, I very rarely do what I want to do in my house. <laughs> that's why I got the barn. That's, that's I, I need a barn. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I think is they should really start bringing back the emphasis on vocational schools. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. Programs where well, all they do is preach about how the workforce for these, you know, plumbing and electrical and mechanical and woodworking and all, mm-hmm. carpentry, all the, that there's going to be nobody to do it. Yeah, there's the young people aren't getting into it at all. So how come they're not? I mean, I don't know. I'm not in a high school. How come they're not pushing these things to these this kids? Blue collar profession still is looked down upon that are deeply satisfying and right. fulfilling. And you actually physically see, look, we made this. Yeah, yeah you're, that's huge. You're pushing papers, <laughs> yeah. papers around on a desk and numbers. Back Psychologically, and yeah, you place it. You can't like that's the thing. Like we were talking about, like my, your son, yeah, who who Perfect who will example. work on something and then the project gets canceled and it's just like okay, or even what, like if he sees it to the end and they say like oh yeah we made you know we made this much money or we closed this deal, how fleeting of a of a satisfactory feeling does that give you? Yeah, I mean it. I think it all depends um, what you're doing, but if you can see something. To finish, yeah, and to see it kind of uh, make a difference somehow, mm-hmm. then that gives you that feeling of getting something done and getting you—you know—that's what gets you out of bed in the morning, kind of thing. Yeah, we all have different uh, needs in terms of like the um, longevity and and concrete nature of like what we're doing. Like, I need to physically see and feel and be around the thing. Like, uh, we get attached to the work. It's like it's sad when something gets delivered. It's literally sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's for me. For me, it's sad and then like uh, liberating. Well, you get paid, yeah. but <laughs> I love. I just love having the space back in the shop. Yes, there's yeah. all that when you come back yeah. and you, you clean up a little bit. I don't have to yeah. worry about scratching it anymore yeah. accidentally. Oh yeah, but it. I mean, when you leave, there's this sense of melancholy. You know, when you're leaving the client's home. And like, uh, yeah, that sense of um, self consciousness and and. Anxiety over are, are they, they gonna like are they gonna it? like it? Is it gonna be? Does it live up to the expectation? Um, we talked about that on one of the early episodes. Yeah, that yeah. feeling of anxiety when you finally get. I always have that when I'm working for a client. I always have that because, to be perfectly honest, there's never anything that's perfect. No, I've I mean, never made anything perfect. You know, you get it close, but there's grains a little bit different here, mm-hmm. or something's a little bit different there. Yeah, you and, get a crack and you have to fix it. Yeah, but you maybe still see a, something. Yeah. You, you know, don't point those out. Yeah, <laughs> that's like I sent the clients a picture of the doors uh, yesterday, and I I haven't heard back from them, and it's burning me up inside because I'm like wondering if not, it, yeah, I like it or like. Meanwhile, I put it up on Instagram. It's you know everybody's like, man, those look awesome, blah blah blah. But you want to hear from the client, so, yeah. So it's probably you know it's probably nothing, but I I just I gotta interrupt you. I just read this ahead to this next question. Now we, as we always say, we really just see these questions now. Like uh, oh, Jeff yeah. Jeff types them up, <laughs> so he that's you know, and he's getting them in, but he's not really paying attention. I generally only see it when it comes to the desk. Yeah. And I just read, and this is cracking me up. So uh, uh, can we move ahead to this yeah, one? Yeah, yeah we, we got a whole other page <laughs> right. full of questions. Yeah. So this, this is from Adam P. He's one of our patrons. So thank you, Adam. Uh, and he's going to start like this. Please pass along my respect to John. 
There you go. John. Thank you. It gets better. As a beginning woodworker, I've learned so much from his videos. I love how he makes woodworking seem so consistent with art and maintaining the land on his channel. But I have to ask you two, meaning Jeff and I, a question that really bugs me about him. Does he look more like Nathan Fillion, Jeremy Renner, or Jason Bateman? <laughs> you know what I get more than any of those is... Um, Jeez, I get that guy who's a who's um who's the chef who's like always swearing at everybody. Gordon, Gordon Ramsay. I get Gordon Ramsay more than anything else. I don't that's know the funny. first guy. Yeah, me but neither. I just love this question. That's a good one. So that's what I get. I get Gordon Ramsay. Get Gordon um, Ramsay. Not that much, but I get yeah. it from time to time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna pass on the question. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who Nathan. Fillion is. Yeah, it'd have to But that's good. Thank you. I'm glad that you like the, the yeah. woodworking. Yeah. yeah. I think Adam Adam has another question buried yeah. in here somewhere. <laughs> I try and split them up when it's doubled. Right. So that was good. Uh, so next question from Brian. Hamlet Woodcraft on Instagram. Are you guys upgrading to the 12-inch jointer soon? If so, can I get dibs on the current setup? Mm. Yeah. I mean, we had 25 people waiting in line for the planer. Man, it was like I had to beat people away with a stick. Yeah. People, even the day that uh, the guy was picking it up, what was his name, Matt or Mike? Yeah. Um, did he pick it up? Can I come get it? Did he get? Uh, did it fall through? And we are cool because we could have easily, you know, raised hyped the price. it up yeah. and raised yeah. the price. But, you know, even even though we had so much demand for it, we sold it for the original asking nice. price. Yeah. Cause I'm not kidding when I said I had like, 10 people that wanted to buy it. That's amazing. Like, people that but, said, no, I'll pay the full price. I'll come pick it up. That's a beautiful thing, though, because of Instagram, you're able to have them, you know, sell this. Yeah. Yeah. But it would be very difficult to sell under normal circumstances. Yeah, and it like goes on to it, a good place. And, and you're able to DM pictures and all that kind of stuff. Like, imagine yeah. trying to do this, like, 20 years Love ago. School Most way. of it was actually through Facebook Marketplace. So there you go. Yeah. Facebook is where it's at for stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, we I I check it constantly for really? stuff. Yeah, that um, Red Baron hinge boring machine, Alec, who's uh, Alhead Woodco on Instagram, actually brought that to my attention. He's like, "Hey, look at this yeah. thing that just popped up." We rushed we, down there in the yeah, morning nice. in our pajamas. We were, we were like <laughs> both messaging the guy. Um, I'm trying to think of what else we found on there. We sold a bunch of stuff. On yeah, there. we sell a lot of stuff. Yeah. That's good. And I'm always checking, like, uh, always looking for the old Craig pocket screw machines, Castle pocket hole machines, stuff like that, because they pop up sometimes and and they're cheap. Nice. They go super fast. Yeah. They got that bench on there for hundred bucks. Can't beat it's that. A Joe Berg bench. Can't beat it. No. We got to rocket through this. These last questions here. Yeah, it's getting late. Um, here's our next one from uh, Rich, one of our patrons. You guys live near an abundance of low-cost cherry. If you were building a cabinet for yourself, uh, for example, a living room built-in, and all North American hardwood costs roughly the same, what would you use? Hmm. For a kitchen? For uh, if you were building yourself something, like a built-in for your uh, living room, he's saying, and you could use any North American hardwood, they all cost the same. For built-ins, I actually like painted mm -hmm. painted stuff, so I build it with poplar, and I might use some white oak accents. 
I think I'm going to go with Jerry. <laughs> I like Jerry. Yeah. It would depend on, on the room, so like the yeah. rest of the yeah. colors. But cherry or walnut mm-hmm. um, right now, that's my feelings today. It would could change uh, in a week or a month. Any one of them I yeah, like. You can't go yeah. wrong. You can't go wrong. It's going to be based on the design, too, yeah. of the piece. I do, I do like painted built-ins, just mm-hmm. white, just keep it clean and simple. Yeah. Or... Uh, riffs on white oak is definitely mm-hmm. something I really like. Very, really modern. Yeah, I like the look of white oak. I'm not the biggest fan of working with it, just because it's so splinters and splinters, yeah. and it like the square edges are so sharp. Yeah. Um, but uh, I like cherry. That's that's well, my cherry's my, nice. My go-to. Yeah. Yeah. Cherry's a good wood. Yeah. Oh, this this is another great question. Yeah. You read it, Jeff. Uh, from Kevin McMahon. Um, one of our patrons, he wants to know, uh, so what is or was plan B if you couldn't get the oak to bend this design? <laughs> plan B is still on the table. There is no plan B. <laughs> We're going to keep bending until we get four good ones. I think it worked. Yeah. I think you're good. <laughs> there isn't one. One of our original thoughts was to, uh, you know, so the, oh, if yeah. you guys haven't seen the that form. Lamination. Yeah, that or, um, so it's uh, basically a, Three straight runs with four-inch radius corners. So it's a, a C with four-inch uh, radius corners. Mm-hmm. We were thinking about making the corners out of, uh, you know, either, you know, 12-quarter or something or um, a glued-up section of blocks. And then we could always skin that on the inside and outside with a yeah. quarter-inch or, yeah. or a one-eighth-inch veneer. That would work. That yeah. would work, and it would also... It, uh, give it a little bit more strength. Yeah, you know that that blocking. Yeah, because you're gonna have some twi- some, yeah. some type of end grain to end grain there. Sure. So yeah, we're we're still considering. We yeah. we got our we got our money on this one. Yeah, or yeah, bent laminations is the other. Uh... All right. Hey, this this question this next question from Dave, another one of our patrons. This you'll find this interesting, John. Yeah. Question about band saws. If one's not looking to do a lot of resawing. What are your opinions on a 10-inch saw? I'd love to get my hands on a good used 14-inch Delta, the old kind, <laughs> like you have, John. But they're so hard to find here in Colorado. Um, I think you can probably, for small stuff, you can get away with a 10-inch bandsaw, yeah, no problem. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to use a quarter-inch blade. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I have, to, um, I have to do a little... Uh, TLC work on that Delta, but that's a good saw. Yeah. That's a good saw. Yeah, a lot of that old cast iron stuff, you just can't beat it. Um, yeah, the older Delta stuff is solid. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the measurement for the saws is like the throat size, isn't it? Between uh, that... The, the wheel. Yeah. Oh, it's the wheel? Yeah, like a 10-inch bandsaw has got 10-inch wheels. Because to me, one of the things I find most... Uh, Inconvenience when it's you run space, out of space yeah. in between the the that upper arm of the body of the frame of yeah, the saw so that's and the, the blade. Yeah, the bigger the the bandsaw, you know, like if it's a twenty inch bandsaw, it's got a more of a left. So that's right. why that size is then incrementally bigger. It's related to that yeah. size of the wheel. Like you could get a ten inch. I don't know this for sure, but you could get a ten inch saw that has nearly the same or the same resaw height as a right. 17 inch bandsaw like hmm. we have back here um but yeah from the what do you call that the vertical 
yeah, I don't know. section it's, of the bandsaw to the blade is going to be the smaller. frame of the saw. They have those three wheel bandsaws that hmm. you know goes over, yeah, and you get a deeper, um, deeper cut. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the height that you want to resaw is also going to be limited on how much you can join. Yeah. So if you only have a six inch joiner, you don't need to be resawing yeah. anything taller than six inches. Yeah. You're gonna have to now flatten that edge. Right. So think about that part. I'm sorry if we feel like we're blasting through these, but we're just we gotta make up some time yeah. here, as usual. Here we got one from Randall. He's another repeat offender, RM Crafts and Customs on Instagram. John, how's the new saw stop? Are you going to make new shop jigs for it? I love the uh, saw stop. It's just such a nice saw. I I probably keep using my crosscut sled on the Powermatic, and um, I can't think of any jigs that I'm going to make at the moment. No, not really. But yeah. it's just a great saw. Super yeah. nice. Jordan Eldridge on Instagram wants to know how much do you use your Powermatic since you got the saw stop. I use it a lot less. I would say that I will probably use the saw stop 80% of the time now. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see. Uh, but, yeah. Have you put a dedicated, uh, like a specialty blade on the Powermatic Dado? I put a quarter-inch blade mm -hmm. on there, so it's easy to uh, do half laps and things like that. Yep. And um, I'll probably change that from time to time if I'm using the cross-cut sled. Uh, maybe eventually I'll make another crosscut sled for the for the Powermatic, just because I made my crosscut sled I think 21 inches deep, and I, in retrospect, I probably should have made it 24 inches deep, mm -hmm. just to uh, you know full cabinet depth. Right. Kind of the uh, same thing we got yeah. going. Yeah. Saw stop is the workhorse, and then you know the dado blades in there when we need it. It's there. Yeah. So nice to turn that saw on. I mean, it's just. For me, it's like the Festool yes. miter saw. You just enjoy using it. It's just... Yeah, I mean, we're we're right here next to the saw, and there's three microphones right here. You can hear how, how quiet it is. Yeah, it's nice. And listen to how it just breaks, like, nice and easy. Yeah. I mean, my Powermatic is 25 years old, mm -hmm. maybe more. So, you know, it's definitely an older saw, but uh, yeah, I just can't. I I just can't say enough good things about the saw stop. It's perfect. Yeah, it's been great. No regrets here. That's for sure. All right. Well, that, good, was, uh, that was two birds with one stone there. Yeah, we got another one here from uh, John Welsh twenty one on Instagram. What are the benefits of using veneer and or what projects are best suited for it? I have a client who wants a walnut barn door but has a tight budget. So I was debating using veneer for the panels. Let me know what you guys think. I'm John. Yeah, well, the what projects are best suited for it? That's the wife. She probably wants to know when I'm coming in for dinner. Yeah, Supper I just got the same thing. Yeah. I just told her home at 6.30. Okay, so this is. I want to talk about veneer, not so much about the barn door, because I, I don't know if this is the best application for that. But... Um, Often when I build a cabinet and I use veneer, I get the question, why don't you just build the cabinet out of uh, walnut or white oak plywood and miter the corners? Mm -hmm. Well, it's not going to be a very strong joint. 
right? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Second of all, that's not an easy joint. No. That's, so now that's a good point. I can go ahead and build this box because it's just a box out of three-quarter inch Baltic birch plywood, screw it together, sand it real good, and then grain match and do whatever I want with veneer. And it's easy, it looks great, and it's going to be strong. Yeah. So that's really the thing. It's just, it's really easy. And it looks great. Yeah, yeah you start mitering plywood. How do you fasten? You put dominoes in it. Yeah, and then you've got to try and figure out how to clamp it. Or you put cons clamps, and then you got little holes. And the corners are 64th of an inch thin. Oh, my <laughs> God, yeah. I just... I get that question like too often, mm-hmm. and I usually just ignore it because you, yeah. there's no. If you have to answer it, it's almost like how can, if you're asking me that question, how can I answer it? Yeah, Maybe. I'd say for John, like if you're going to be making a barn door and it has a panel, like it's a frame and panel door, um, you don't even have to go as far as doing veneer work. You can just get a piece of plywood. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, because so then you would use plywood. Yeah, because it's um, it's going to be totally captive, and there's no joinery. Um, you know, there's more than enough for you to just sand it clean. You know, plywood comes smooth; it just needs to be cleaned up a little bit before finish. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going for a specific, like you want rift uh, walnut or something, and you can only find it veneer. Then uh, it's definitely a good application. That's a great. Uh, that's a great uh, time to use it. Yeah. yeah, because you can't really yeah. find a lot of those. Yeah, you can get some really specialty woods in veneer, and then you can use those panels as accent panels and things yeah, like bird's that. Bird's eye maple. Yep. Uh, like you have the uh, quarter saw butternut. Butter yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's just one uh, little note. Again, going back to our meeting with Fez. If you're going to use plywood, like a walnut veneer plywood for the panel, make sure you get two good sides. Yeah, 1A or, or uh, 1AA. You know, talk to your supplier about that because one side will look good and then the other side will probably have all these little thin strips, you know, and it'll look bad on that side. It'll yeah. look like a piece of yeah. plywood. And it, so or if you can you, use two pieces of three ace and put the good side there you both go. out. And We've done that together. in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So a good time to use it is when there's like a, a rare or distinctive wood or some large uh, flat surface that you want stability mm-hmm. yeah. or as a substrate for a more um, unique uh, veneer over the top, ease of um, joinery, strength. There are a lot of good reasons to use veneer. Yeah, I like yeah. veneer. Um, it, it, it's gotten a bad rap, you know, because it's like anything, if it's used poorly uh, to cover up poor workmanship or yep. inferior materials, you know, that's what people think of. But it's got a, a, a pretty storied history veneer work. Oh, yeah. All the mid-century stuff, yeah, for the most yeah. part, is veneer. Um, let's see. Well, so let's let's move on. Uh, here's a question I've been pondering since I started watching Thomas Johnson Antique Furniture Restoration on YouTube. If your goal is to make furniture that lasts for a hundred years, should be, should you be using hide glue? Given its reversibility, hide glue is the preferred glue of furniture restores. That's from one of our patrons, David. Well, we go back to the old, uh, the old dilemma of what, what can we do and, and 
remain a profitable yeah, business. Yeah, what can you do and what can you get paid for? Right. So <laughs> that sums it up. <laughs> we've, right. we've kicked around the idea of, of going to high glue. But, um, you know, it has extended cure times and yeah, specific it's a lot. working um, requirements. We we can't add that to the mix. No it's way. Just, we're taking and a, a customer would just gloss over yeah. if you yeah. started to explain that. But, but we're using high glue. I yeah. don't care. Use Elmer's glue. For yeah. All yeah. I don't care. Um, you know these these uh, wood glues. They're good for sixty plus years. I think if your joinery's right and your screws are good and all that stuff, it's not coming apart. No, no. I just don't think it is. And you know, if it's in a home, it's going and. Think about the difference between climate-controlled homes now and even 50 years ago. Yeah. yeah. You know, so things are just... It's yeah. like, you know, it's amazing. A lot of the artwork that I make that's rusted steel, I just lacquer over that. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't... I have pieces that are 20 years old that are just lacquer over steel. The rust just freezes the lacquer. Uh, the, the lacquer freezes the rusting process. And just... Interesting. And then... And then you then you think about okay if it does move a little bit that's kind of part of it right so let it be yeah I I don't think uh, I mean those are for specific restorations that's like if you had a real restorer coming in yes to to reverse it and everything like that so the chances of that happening also kind of slimmed down well, <laughs> the yeah. possibility. The things that I've repaired for friends, those things haven't been built with high glue. Essentially, you're removing the damaged part. So you're cutting off a piece, and then if you have to bore a hole or what have you, that's how you're repairing that. You're not sort of delicately removing something, you know, by heating up the glue. Or I, I also think if something has that much value... yeah then people will figure out how to fix it anyway. Mm -hmm. So that's like a, you can take a painting by Jackson Pollock that was made with oil-based house paint that's now eating through the canvas and they restore it because it's a Jackson Pollock mm -hmm. painting. If it's not a Jackson Pollock painting, then nobody cares and just lets it go anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I so, you know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> yeah. it's like people will, if it's, if it's, if it's got that value, then people yeah, will put the money in. Out. Yeah. When you have to look at the con, like the context of the future too, because now, the people that you're seeing restoring antiques, they're working with hide glue because that's what yes. the original fabricators were using. Yeah. So let's say you have, which I highly doubt that there's going to be really many in existence, a guy 100 years from now who's restoring furniture from 2021. Exactly. There's not going to be much stuff around. He's not going to even probably yeah. know anything about hide glue because nobody now yeah, is using hide glue to build furniture. There's a very type small. On too. Yeah. There'll be no jobs for furniture restorers. There, they, there will be. You know, there's not going to be enough furniture around to make that a viable career choice. Yeah, yeah. Hide glue seems like there's less of them now. <laughs> there are, of course. I remember Imagine there was always a couple of them around. Ago. Yeah, yeah. People come to us all the time, ask yeah. for restoration, yeah. refinishing, and. We don't get into it because... Yeah, it's another thing. All right. Keep them moving. Ah, is this for... Oh, no, I thought... No, this is Lyle. Yeah. Aaron A.T. Lyle on Instagram. He, he wants to know if we could own just one router, what would it be? Everyone pick their favorite. Plunge, fix, D-handle, combo. Well, combo, that's that's kind of cheating. Combo kit, yeah. I'm going to go with, um, we have a Festool OF-1010, but I want the bigger one that takes a half inch, whatever that yeah. is, the 1400. Yeah. I haven't even used it, but I know that that's the one I want. 
I second that opinion. I've never used it because it's expensive and we don't have it. But we have the small one, though. We might get it. We might get that router. Yeah, why not? That's my choice because I love Festool. I'm just going to say I love my little Milwaukee handheld router. Yeah. Handle? Just, just a little straight. It's a mini router or whatever. Oh. Yeah. Cordless love, router. I had the Makita one. It's, that thing's yeah, awesome. That I just use great. it all the time. It's yeah. just so easy to use. Zip, zip a quarter round or a chamfer. I'd like to actually like replace the two corded routers that we have with two more of those. The, yeah. And the thing is, I grabbed that. Um, and set it up with the bits. So you don't have to change them out. Yeah, like we yeah. keep a chamfer in one yep. and a round over in Same another, here. and then that's it. I got a, a flush trim in that one. Yep, that's what I want to do. Three or four of those. What about you, Lyle? Let us know. Ah, here's our friend, Ira Jan. <laughs> Suspect bucket on Instagram. Do you go to historic houses and museums to study furniture? And where's the coolest stuff? It, well, we, we found it in uh, that magazine book mm-hmm. slash book. Yeah, that's um, good. And it's funny because we were while we were fooling with the bending of the oak today, the three of us discussed a potential trip out to Falling Water, which yeah. I don't know, was that about eight hour drive, six hour drive? Is it from that here? far? Wow. I don't think it was that far. How far is it? It might Pittsburgh? be because it's near Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's yeah. about five, six hours six hours. The thing about falling water is you have to go on a lot of small roads. That's yeah. why I think I looked. That, that sounds up like before. a three or four day trip. I know it's been closed, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, once, off. <laughs> once this uh, uh, pandemic's under control, that's something we're probably going to do. Definitely, yeah. We're, and you said somewhere else though too. Yeah, I'd like to go to Nakashima, and then I also want to go to Craftsman Farms, which is in like uh, it's in North Jersey. You know, it's like Stickley had a Craftsman okay, cool. Farms there. Yeah, it got damaged in the. Uh, Tropical Storm Isaiah. Then yeah. we had all those yeah. wind, all that wind, like, back... When was that? I don't know. It was, like, in the summertime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, where, like, uh, I mean, people were out without power yeah, for, like, I was, I was without power for over a week. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, so they got some damage during that, and they were closed. And I guess maybe with COVID, they're probably even yeah. double closed somehow. Um, double secret probation. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't gone anywhere specifically, but when I do go places... Um, I'm always looking around. I even go places that don't have cool furniture. I'm looking around. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. In people's homes, you know, every time you go somewhere new, whether it's, and we go less and less to places nowadays, but you go out to eat, you're checking out the, the reception desk. Yeah, like I mean, uh, like when we went to see the accountant, first thing we started doing is like poking holes in his furniture. Like, yeah, you, know, you got a like, cheap desk. <laughs> that's, you can't help it. That's yeah. what you do. Sure. I was helping my father-in-law, Jamie. Uh, he's a carpenter uh, on a house in Monmouth Beach, and they had two Wegner wishbone chairs. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I mean, they I think I saw they them. Did you post Wegner. them in a story? Yeah, or? they weren't real Wegners, but... but there's Either again, way, they're, yeah, cool they're just cool chairs. Yeah, all right. And I, you know, I was inspired by seeing them. Yeah, I've seen them before, but seeing them in the flesh and gets it back in your head. I saw some great chairs in this book that yeah, I, I want to use the domino to kind of uh, rip off that that's, design. That's low craftsman. All right, <laughs> we, we gotta we gotta get John out of here in the next fifteen minutes. Oh, uh, we got our buddy Kevin coming in with a question. He wants us to uh, discuss providing quality and craftsmanship while still keeping a project affordable and profitable. We, this is something we've been hitting all episode. Um, where are the areas you try and save a few man hours and where are the areas that you make sure are absolutely perfect? For example, 
Are you sanding the inside of a carcass to 220, or are you going to 100 and calling it a day from Kevin? Uh, that's appropriate. This secretary has got a lot of big, broad, flat surfaces. Um, we chose to sand to 180 for this particular finish, um, yeah, and that's what the sample was. Yep. And every <laughs> every area, including the top, <laughs> which even though you're not going to see the top at all, it's sanded to 180 and um, finished. Even the bottom is sanded to 180 and finished. Um, it's kind of weird putting finish on something that's not sanded. Yeah, that's it doesn't thing. doesn't yeah. doesn't work the same. Um, so yeah, I may. Not to spend as much time. Yeah, if there's like a little sure like swirls or, or whatever. Yeah. But typically, we'll go through the whole piece. Um, maybe the back of the back doesn't get finished or something like that. I finished the back of the back. So there you go. There's your answer. We're a little bit insane. We tried to, and we try to price the job knowing what we're going to do. We, that makes we, sense. We know we're not going to cut too many corners. We know all the stuff that goes into it. So we don't say, yeah, we could get this done in three days if we don't do it the way we usually do it. Yeah. We go, no, this is going to take us five days because this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. Let's say we save time on like um, making sure that we do things efficiently and stuff right. like that. Um, not so much on the actual details of the piece try not to make mistakes yeah try to communicate have all our ducks in a row make sure all the materials here be thorough anything to add there john no it's pretty much what i do i mean i'm this this uh, chest of drawers that i'm going to build i originally was going to veneer the back of the cabinet but now i'm going to build it so the piece of plywood that i use for the back will not have any uh, plywood edge on it that yeah. will be a solid piece so plant that straight on the back. exactly yep. so it's just built differently and i'm doing that it's a 32 inch tall piece and maybe one day it will not be against the wall maybe it will be a room divider right. i don't know viewable from all sides yeah. yeah so something like that just try to and it's just taking pride in your work you yeah. know <laughs> We're insane. Yeah. I mean, that's the top, and you right. can look over here and see that. Look at that glue up. It's beautiful. <laughs> that's good pieces on the bottom. <laughs> we measured it. Like we measured it. Where it goes rift yeah, look at that. Yeah, nice. I mean, <laughs> you're, that, and you're not even going to see the inside of that board either, probably. But yeah. I mean, you should see the countertop on the base section that's covered up by that, <laughs> that very top thing there. It's like, so there's a countertop on top of the countertop, and you only see about an inch. And it's yeah. all solid cherry. We had to cut holes in it for the sink. I mean, it's I mean, beautiful. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's just... We we enjoyed it. Yeah, you're better off doing it. And you know. yeah. there's no other way to do it and get the right... What are you going to do? Make faux edges on the side? Or yeah. Hang grain? No, come on. Yeah. So, hey, this question's for you, John. You have a background and interest in steelwork and sculpture. And I was curious if it's something you're still fond of. I ask because it doesn't feature much on your channel or Instagram page. Is it something you're still interested in? I'd love to incorporate steel and other metals like brass at some point into my builds. 
Is that something that interests you at all? For the Green Street crew, are you guys keen to incorporate steel frame or other types of metal into your builds? That's Miles, one of our patrons at Eat Drink Wine Guy on Instagram. All topical. Yeah, coming all the way from Australia. Nice. I, uh, I like working with steel, or I used to. Uh, I just kind of pick my spots and stay in my lane right now. If one day I have a big shop and I can have a, an, a separate shop for a metal shop, I might do that, especially if I had an assistant who could help with it because steel gets heavy. It's also nice to be able to separate a wood shop from a metal shop. Yeah. And when I, when I was young and going to art school, I worked with our, our, my professor was uh, Jay Hooley, who was a pretty well-known steel sculptor. And so I got into that and learned about uh, David Smith, the pretty famous steel sculptor, and Sir Anthony Caro and... I just was into that, so of course the sculptures that you see in my yard are directly inspired by David Smith and Anthony Carroll and Julio Gonzalez, who taught Picasso how to weld. Um, but um, I just don't have the time to do it as much anymore. And then the steel that's in my painting, that's mainly two-dimensional, so it's really, I'm not treating steel as much as a way to fabricate with it but as a surface to paint on and mm. for what it will do good point yeah so it's a different way of working with steel and and in that case i'll use steel like a, a ferrous steel that will rust and then yeah. rust and uh, aluminum and there's different ways to use them but often it's i'm using them with contact cement and just mounting them right to the substrate and if you're working with steel then you can't use the woodworking tools, but if you're using aluminum, you can. So trim router and things like that. Hmm. Um, so in short, I'll probably continue to work with metal on a two-dimensional uh, way as far as painting and not in the foreseeable future in a three-dimensional way. All right. You could answer. You drew up the design for the latest... Uh yeah. Job that was a lot of metal and glass. Yeah, we have um, a potential job. I don't know what the status of it is yet. Um, it's up in the air, last I heard. It's a, a steel and glass wine cabinet. Um, and we'll do some type of wood supports for the bottles. But uh, Buddy Manny, who's a, a welder, metal fabricator, he'll he'll be taking on the um, the metal fabrication on that if we get the job. That's um, 95%. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. There's other, yeah, there's other, 5 uh, wood. <laughs> other pieces in the in the room that we may do as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we've been trying to integrate some metal into jobs for, you know, since our inception. Because, yeah. um, we A, we wanted to get Manny involved, and B, you know, we like the aesthetic. Um, when it's done tastefully, it's, yeah. again, it's one of those things where, like, a river table with a metal base. You I don't know, care about it. Yeah, so you got to use it. You know, don't just put it in there because you think yeah. it's cool. Not well, that sounds weird. Don't just put it in there because you see everybody else putting it in there. Um, use it when it's uh, appropriate. Yeah, appropriate, and you know, fits with the the, the overall design aesthetic of the piece. Yeah, when it's inspired. One of, one of my favorite finishes for steel, and I can see it in steel tables and things. And it's not like your square tubing where then you just paint it black and then you put a slab on it. <laughs> it's maybe um, found objects or something welded together and then rusted 
and then has a beeswax finish burned onto that rust. Mm. That just goes wow. the color. It's not a hard finish to make, so you let it rust for you know a couple months, and then sand it with maybe 120, and then just bring the torch out and burn that beeswax in there, and that's a beautiful finish that will stay Ooh. really good. That's cool. That's yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. We love metal. We love the idea of it. Yeah. I did one project. 15 years ago with metal, I went found that blacksmith who I gave him a form and he hand hammered these, uh, I guess, hoops, staves for this round front desk that I I made. Um, and it was a great experience, except finding a blacksmith was a chore and then getting him to stay on schedule. <laughs> That's a whole... What? <laughs> if you had another building, if you had another building half the size of this building out here... With a welder in it yeah. and an oxyacetylene torch, mm -hmm. you could do a ton of things. Oh, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it's like everything else. The CNC, we, I would love to have every single yeah. one of these things. A whole, I'd love to have a metal shop and a leather working thing. And but yeah. again, we gotta, we got, we have trouble will, getting through the day as it is. I think that's the kind of thing that will happen naturally in vermont if you yeah there we go yeah. let's go to vermont let's all go to vermont yeah. um, i think it will happen naturally and you'll actually make things instead of just trying to push it forward and yeah you know because again like that that square tube table base is just it's just done. that yeah it's done it's just that i mean yeah like a trapezoid you know yeah. always a trapezoid uh, and i think that i think that you know, the idea of always trying to make something elegant, that's the highest thing you can do. Yeah. And and I think the hardest thing to do is to really critique yourself and be honest with yourself. And if, you know, you, I'm the person I got to be happy, has got to be happy with it. Yeah. I got to, I got to be happy with it. And my wife's got a pretty good eye too. And and she yeah, won't she let me. She's in fashion. She's yeah. probably used to looking at stuff with a discerning so I'll eye. So I'll use her eye too, and I'll be like, is this right? And she'll be like, is that maybe a little bit heavy or whatever? You know? But yeah, you just kind of like the difference between elegant and kind of clumsy is often very small Slight, measurement. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like if you're 100% satisfied with a project when it leaves the shop, like you're probably not trying hard enough. <laughs> Do you remember I can't, that happening? I can't think no. of one. No, you're right. I can't no. think of one, even to the smallest little thing, where I was like, yeah, that was a, that's 100% perfect. Yeah, yeah, but the funny thing is you go back and you look at that piece five years, six years from now, you're like, wow, that's pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They hold up. I mean, yeah. we've been in the houses and stuff like that. I'm like, wow, that still looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah. But, that's the thing. But it's, uh, Yeah, you're not, you, you got to push yourself. And if, if it comes out perfect, then that means that yeah. either you got about as lucky as you could ever get in your entire life or you just, you're not pushing yourself enough on that one. For sure. But we'll see. Maybe, maybe this will be the one. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's start with the wrap up. Yeah. What are our thoughts on the beer of the week? That's you and me, because John brought it. Man, that was ages ago. Yeah, we had uh, one and a half, one and a half pints each. Yeah. No, one and a third pints each. Yeah. Uh, very good. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. Clean, hoppy. It's nice. It's a good beer, isn't it? Yeah. I, mean, it's just I, I haven't had any of the Twin Lights yet. Yeah, they're good. What's the scent? What's? It's not cheap. Is I that, think this is aroma? piney. Piney kind of this. I put a piece of gum in there, so it smelled like mint. I'm like, that doesn't smell right. It's nice. It's um, 
All these beers are expensive, though. I think this was fourteen dollars. Yeah. for that's about what it is. <laughs> that's the new going yeah. rate. Yeah. But it's a good beer. Actually, yeah. I have a Ross in there that you should try that we had last week. The Gozaberry. It's good. Oh, I'll take yeah. it with me if, yeah. if yeah. you don't mind. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah. yeah take no, you it have with to the stay book. here and drink it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, Oh, the tool of the week will be, uh, well, the push stick won't be there, but I'll put the socks down You know there what? I'll leave it here if you want to, because uh, yeah, I don't need it. it. I have, yeah, trace it. Yeah, I'll leave that. And I'll take this one of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that all right? Yeah. yeah. All right. That one, you see, you got a nice, like, uh, round over with the, yeah. that, the router was set too deep. And I, <laughs> <laughs> Gives you a little more grip. There's no yeah. going back yeah. after yeah. you started. On a push stick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll have the uh, the socks down in the description. Follow us on Instagram and subscribe on YouTube. All that you can send us some messages with questions. Um, if you want to help support the podcast, we're on Patreon, and usually we do uh, like an hour after the show for Patreon. But we're gonna have to figure something out. Maybe we'll do it tomorrow. Well, yeah, we'll come in in the morning, and uh, we'll over coffee. Yeah, we'll, there you we'll go. We'll do a yeah morning Thursday morning coffee morning session. brew. Yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> should we'll we should we'll, we thank our patrons? Yeah, or? thanks to our gold tier patrons: David Murphy, Manny Siriani, Dustin Fair, Adam Pothas, and David Schumacher. All right, thank you guys. We yeah. really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed uh, the podcast as much as we did having John here. That was, was fun. A special treat. Yeah, and big thanks to Matt, who was. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's still there. Still there. I'm still here, boys. How how was it? Oh, we appreciate it, man. Hopefully, you'll be joined by uh, some more people next week. Hey, it'll, it'll be growing. No, no doubt about that. I'll see you guys on here again soon. Thank you. Uh, Take right, care. Hey, good, good talking to you, Matt. So th- that was uh, that was Matt. We're over on um, in the room on Clubhouse, which is this new uh, audio-based social media thing. Um, it's invite only and iOS only right now. So um, if you can get on it, we'll be uh, we'll try and do this every week where you can yeah. listen to the podcast live. And chime That's in. That's so cool. Chime yeah. in, yeah. That is really cool. So rather than do like a live stream on YouTube or something, we'll do it right through here. And, and uh, you know, you'll be able to hear it as it's coming straight out of our mouths. Cool. Neat. Well, we appreciate everybody. We'll see you next week. Episode 25, one quarter of 100. Yeah, one quarter of a century. Yeah. Good stuff, guys. This was fun. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, John. thanks so much for having me. We got to get John back home for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Take care, guys.